What is up, everyone? My name is Adnan Shafi, and welcome once again to the last episode of season 14 uh, of my podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing, obviously, a very pertinent issue. We're going to be talking about Israeli settler colonialism and why essentially this should mean something to every single person, especially if your country has experienced any form of colonialism or if you're living in a country where you've experienced racism. All of these different intertwined things that this is, a, this is essentially a battle that I feel like every single person on earth should be in favor of the Palestinians. Like there's, there's no two ways about it. And obviously we have some very, very special guests uh, over here. Uh, we're gonna start off with Zubeda. Just tell us a bit more about yourself, what you do, where you're from, and also just uh, tell us a bit more about your channel as well. So, assalamu alaikum guys. Um, my name is Zubeda, but I go by Zubeda Al-Arabi on my YouTube channel. Um, I would like to say I'm an up and coming activist. I would say I've just, you know, for the last two years, I would say I've started to publicly speak specifically in Speaker's Corner, mainly about, you know, Islamophobia, um, you know, anti-Islamic rhetoric. Um, and that's what I usually cover on my YouTube channel. I, I discuss or have debates with, you know, far right or Tommy Robinson supporters based around anti-Islamic sentiments. But I also, you know, speak about racism and misogyny um, and obviously this issue with Palestine is, is really dear to me because you know it's a Muslim issue it's a humanitarian issue so you know I'm just using my platform to really raise awareness as to what's happening right now. Yeah thank you so much Mustafa would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself as well? Asalaamu Alaikum everyone this is Mustafa a recurring guest um, I go by fear and trembling on TikTok and I mainly post uh, anti-imperialism, um, religious content centered about, around Islam and uh, how it intersects with with the, the main struggle, which is uh, colonialism and imperialism. But um, yeah, I hope we have a good discussion today and uh, I've brought my friend, Josh. Yeah. All right, yeah, uh, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, sorry. Uh, hey, hey, guys. I'm uh, Joshua Friend Mustafa, and I also have an Instagram account and a YouTube channel. My Instagram is jj.92 underscore, and uh, I basically post edits there. But soon to be with that channel, as long as well as the YouTube channel, there'll be a lot of more video essays talking more about politics, sociology, and issues such as um, Islamophobia, racism, and really ongoing conflicts such as Palestinian genocide that's going on. And um, that's take well. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Wa alaikum salam, by the way, just returning your salams. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I'll just tell you <clears throat> straight up from the beginning, uh, perhaps my my first introduction to what settler colonialism actually was. So especially when I was growing up, um, I was not really like, you know, too knowledgeable about the issues, especially like, you know, just in, in general, Middle Eastern politics. I was not too privy to that, even just colonialism in general. I wasn't like too wise about it. Didn't really think twice about it. And I actually went to a school that was like a British system school. And uh, we had, it was international. So like we had people from all kinds of like, you know, areas of the world. And I genuinely remember actually uh, sharing a classroom with people who were Israeli and, um, now that I actually, I decided this week to actually check, you know, how they're doing on Facebook and like a considerable number of them have actually joined the IDF. And um, like, you know, this is, this is one of those, you know, moments in time where you just feel that cognitive dissonance and um, 
you look back into the past and you wonder like you know what the hell was i thinking like even i remember we had one discussion when i was on a trip and we kept discussing and uh there was one person who was israeli and you know uh he was one of our friends in this other friend group and we're talking about you know hamas and we're talking about israel and palestine obviously i was just like all i just knew is like something felt wrong about the israeli position that they were promoting and they were talking about oh but hamas bombs us first you know this and that this and that so i mean i just want to perhaps uh just forward to you guys what was your relationship with this entire issue before uh like before this year let's say or like when when were you first introduced to the issue and how do you feel about it now um i don't know if anyone else wants to talk but for me as um somebody that's half iraqi half algerian the more that i understood both sides of my family's history that's when i first came into some sort of contact with you know colonialism and war especially with with the iraqi side because that happened quite currently so you know i grew up to my father constantly watching al jazeera and you know it stressed him out a lot because that's his homeland right so this sort of was the gateway for me to looking into the struggles that are happening in palestine and you know a lot of us are young i'm in my 20s so the, the situation with palestine has been going on since you know we could say all the way till 1917 really if you're going to go all the way back which is way before our time so you know and and trying to understand the palestinian issue requires you to go really deep into history because there's so many events that have happened um and once you go through that path it it really opens your eyes to how detrimental western imperialism is because it's not a case of we just colonized and we left it's a case where we've met, left a mess which still continues to this day and this is why we're witnessing this oppression which was done at the hands because people love to focus on the israeli issue which is which is the issue but who caused it who started this what was the source of the situation and it goes back to the british and that's why it's very pivotal as us as british citizens like the brother previously said before we started that there there's a war of the media you know whilst we don't can't fight physically whilst we're not there we can raise awareness but we can also take the british government accountable because they have a huge part to play in what's happened in palestine i think that's a great point um similar to you guys i mean growing up you somewhat know about it but um as as you progress on and and do research and see the the depth of the depravity that's going on it, it's it's shocking and um yeah there are real life implications that you know our government is complicit the us government is complicit in what's going on but um yeah it's horrifying for me um this conflict i really started her have really heard from way back in 2015 funny enough i was watching um, a show called big question uh, i don't know if you've seen it but we talked a lot about social and political issues and what not i heard of the conflicts and the first thing i heard was the israelis were being <clears throat> they were being accused of foreign chemical weapons like really illegal chemical weapons weapon that must have gas upon innocent palestinian children and they were debating this and it seemed as if the conflict was centralized around this whole idea of spat we shouldn't be criticized or discriminated therefore all this information is justified and i think that serves as a good prelude as to how this conflict shapes and how it's really seen it it seems less so of an actual conflict between two sides but it seems more so seems as 
and apartheid toward the settler colonial state, as many people have mentioned. But a lot of times we really see the heavy sums are really more exaggerated. But in this case, it is literally, it's literally insane. And the reason why it connects with me personally is because of the fact that the amount of cognitive dissonance, as I mentioned before, with this idea was that the group being in question, being Zionists and whatnot, have this kind of in the argument against them, they have this kind of tactic they use to just then say that anything considering discrimination when it comes to Jewish people involves Zionism. And because of the fact that I think that a lot of people have a very touchy reaction when it comes to the Holocaust and the horrors it creates, it creates a sort of dichotomy, which I think is openly um, just harmful. It's openly harmful for not just discourse, but because of the fact that it's just a weak justification for the amount of suffering we see. And that really does touch me because so many times in history, people just let things happen and just let the consequences throw out because of some weak justification. And I don't know, it just really struck me emotionally. Like, not in, in, in a really, <laughs> in, in a way of which sounds really cheesy over the top, but in a way of which is that you can relate to the injustice and the mistreatment of people of which nobody seems to really care about unless they are the, the countries that aren't the most powerful, unfortunately. And especially knowing that the US and the UK are often seen as the protagonists, and I say loosely, of the global stage, it just seems even more egregious. But that's all I have to say on that in terms of my initial reaction to it. So, Josh, do you think that um, with Western governments walking on eggshells around the issue, is it a main fear of being labelled anti-Semitic? Do you think exactly. that's the case? Yeah, 100%. Because I think ultimately, again, from you've got to understand the historical the historical context world war ii was horrifying for the western world um coming off the back of world war one which people thought couldn't possibly get any worse than that because seen was apocalyptic in world war ii the horrors that came from the german people into the jewish people it shocked them and i think it, it that shock shock is a very powerful emotion for for everybody for every human right religious irreligious or whatever race you are we all know what it's like to feel a, a, a very strong sense of shock and i think that permeated the hearts of aristocratic Britain and aristocratic, well, not really aristocratic, but still um, really more pre-industrialized America, which were which was relatively idyllic um, compared to the horrors of World War II. It creates such a visceral amount of shock that we see it translate into these arguments and these, uh, these weak justifications upon labeling anti-Zionism as being anti-Semitic. And I think it's ultimately a response from that shock. I think we're still traumatized, at least in the Western stage, they're so traumatized to the horrors of World War II. And ironically and unfortunately enough, their misgrievance on that being reflected through this conflict, but they're allowing it because of that they do not want to remind themselves of that shock. Yeah, you know, let me actually even add on to that. It's like, how dare you as a Zionist come to us and say that criticizing a government that has established a state, yeah, an ethno state that is literally indiscriminately killing children and women and innocent men as well, right? Going and desecrating holy places. And then when we decide to critique that, we're all of a sudden anti, anti-Semitic. Like th- that for me just does not make sense. It's literally the equivalent of me saying to a Jewish uh, person, a Jewish person, let's say they're, they're just here, you know, walking in London, whatever. They slap another person. I say, hey, that's wrong. And then they're like, oh, stop being anti-Semitic. It's like, that's literally the equivalent of what they're trying to say, that they're trying to just make it seem as if they're, they're presenting this false equivocation that if you're 
uh, if you're a Jew, that you automatically support the state of Israel and you automatically support their illegal occupation. And like one of the key elements of this entire argument, and I mentioned this to like, this is what I told you, like if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're on my TikTok channel or you're my YouTube, if you support Israel, block me. I do not want to see you, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's literally the international community has come out to say that this is illegal. East Jerusalem, even East Jerusalem as a whole does not even belong to the Jews, uh, sorry, not to the Jews, but uh, to the Zionists, right? And yeah, although we have in the past, everyone had like access to that, etc. It's not Zionist land. <laughs> it's not the land of Israel. So for you to come and claim to me that whatever they're doing in Sheikh Jarrah is fine because the people didn't have a title deed to the land, you guys are joking. You know? Just to interrupt I, I just... you, have you heard of, have you heard of the... Sorry. Uh, you can go go on, go on. Oh, all right. I was going to say, have you heard of the whole settler of the thing? You seen it? Sorry, could you just repeat that? Oh, have you heard of the, uh, the Yaqob settler? You seen the um, the video going around the guy who just oh, Jacob. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. If, American, steal, yeah. if I don't steal your house, then someone else is gonna steal it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely like how can you like that's the question? It's like, oh, if someone else is going to steal it, like that's just the culture. It's like you know, and I've spoken to, I mean, I have a couple of Jewish mutuals on TikTok, and like you know, they're mentioning uh the Ten Commandments and you know, do not covet your neighbor's house, right? And like that's one of the Ten Commandments. But what are they out here doing, right? Makes absolutely no sense. And um, I, th- I think you wanted to say something, Zubeda? Yeah, I just wanted to say on the point of anti-Semitism, I find it very hypocritical coming from the Western world, which literally prides itself on freedom of speech. Like, you know, you've had people protest and advocate for freedom of speech. Some will go as far for absolute freedom of speech. And, you know, you can see how many people have got away with so much anti-Islamic rhetoric, even racism. You know, some people haven't even been charged, but the moment that you touch on this subject, it's almost a way of silencing people and saying, no, you cannot speak about this unless you are a bigot, even though it contradicts the standard that the Western world has set in regards to freedom of speech. Yeah, I think it's it's spot on because um, what I find disturbing is how they try to label um, the passive resistance, which is like um, boycotting and divestment, as anti-Semitic. So if 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 not taking arms and taking a pacifist role, just like I'm simply not going to buy from this occupied land, is anti-Semitic. Then what about the, the armed resistance? What is that? So it's, it, there's no way out. You know, you have to comply or you're done for. Yeah, no, and I actually saw this other, I believe it was the Pakistani foreign minister who was making a speech at the UN, right? This is what he mentioned. And this is like, this is actually the degree to which, um, you know, people are pushing this anti-Semitic uh, narrative. Oh, if you if you criticize Israel, then you're anti-Semitic. So the Pakistani foreign minister said something. And yeah, it could have been misinterpreted as something anti-Semitic. But when I, when I listened to it like two or three times, I was like, there's no way in hell that this can be anti-Semitic. So long story short, what he did say was uh, when he was being interviewed, was that Israel has connections in the media. And that is not false. That is really not false, right? And he said that, that because of that, he has, they have connections and they're actually controlling the media, right? So then the, I think it was CNN or something, which was like, oh no, that's, that's anti-Semitic. Right, because she thought that he was pushing this trope of all oh, Jews control the media. I think it's I think like, the actual comment he said that. Then he said they have deep pockets, and once he said deep pockets, that's when she came with the anti-Semitic remark. 
Yeah, yeah, essentially. And the thing is, I, I genuinely don't see how that specifically could be anti-Semitic because let's be honest, they have lobbying groups. That's exactly yeah, what that in America. means. It goes, exactly. yeah. it goes back to that, that idea of shock, you know? Like, it's, I feel as if this is, they know their heads and hearts of people, that this is a weak justification. Another one being that, the fact that that land is holy and divine, that it inherently means that Jewish people claim, claim home there, I think it's ridiculous also, but you hear these weak justifications because of the shock value of, oh, we don't want to go back to how we were before or what we've seen before, so we're going to allow you to do this. And it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, look at Wiley. <laughs> Literally anybody that links towards this idea, because it's a very old stereotype as well with the, the Jewish question, this idea that they control the banks and all of this stuff and their money grabbing, horrific stereotypes. But the problem is we're allowing the shock of all of this and how it contributed to World War II allow us to turn a blind eye to real tragedies. And I think also this links to the inherent Islamophobia in the West, so that allows and anything to get rid of what it perceives as a dangerous ideology. There's a very good book actually by Dagwood Chris Hedges that goes into this specifically and about how the, the um, new American uh, conservative right and the atheist new American bloc have come together when it comes to Islam. And I can't help but see that this whole thing has pseudo justifications based on Islamophobia, considering the, the uh, specific history the West has with Islamic countries. I think Again. that that spot. Sorry, then go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that spot on because if if you look at um, this issue specifically from from the Western, the average Westerners lens, they they put uh, anti-Semitism as far more egregious or far uh, far more you know uh, harmful than Islamophobia. They don't put Islamophobia, if Islamophobia is like literally nothing, you know, someone can be accused of Islamophobia, that's it. If someone's accused of anti-Semitism, it's literally like, oh, this guy kills babies or something. It's, it's so insane. Yeah, no, and even, I just want to show you the double standards, right? And how the Western media, like, I'm so sorry, like, I think in the last week, I have literally grown an intense hatred for so many journalists. Like, I've really grown a very intense hatred for journalism. Uh, and like in general, I'm just trying to look for people who are authentic. <laughs> no, no, like, trust me, trust me. Because the thing is, I've, I've been reading literature on it for one of my assignments, right? About, uh, you know, how they uh, essentially, when you merge journalism with capitalism and profit and reward and fame, you're going to get them reporting on certain things based on the outcome of like the number of views, the number of clicks, etc. right? Um, so basically what I'm trying to say is like this. I want you guys to just imagine something. Imagine if tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, I just decided, I said that, okay, guys, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to declare an Islamic state in the United Kingdom, right? We're going to establish a Khilafah, right? So we're going to go to, it's to, huge. to, to Westminster. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to go to Westminster. We're going to march on Westminster. We're going to get Muslims to come from the Muslim world, Nigeria. We're going to get Muslims to come from Somalia. And we're going to take over Britain, right? The media would call me ISIS. The media would call me this, right? What we here is Islamic takeovers, Tommy Robinson marches all over the street. Exactly, right? But when Theodore Herzl and all these people back then were saying it, people were, were, were just fine with that. Even now, right? The fact that Israel is allowed to be like, oh, we're just, you know, it's just self-defense. Keeping in mind that you've taken all this land from people, 
And like, if people want to debate the history about it, I'll just even just go through some main uh, events in the history. <clears throat> Basically, after the Ottoman Empire disintegrated, the British, yeah, this is after World War One, obviously. So Brit- the British, via a few treaties that they had signed, uh, peace treaties that they had signed with the Ottomans, they managed to get Palestine as their mandate. So the British were essentially in control of uh, Palestine. So from there now, what happened is that they considered this proposition by the Zionists to actually create a Jewish, Jewish ethnostate, right? And they actually managed to, they, they approved it. The Balfour Declaration is something that actually put that pen to paper, right? And they said that, okay, the Jewish, uh, uh, we promised the Jewish community that we're going to essentially give them a home state. But here's the major issue. Were the Palestinians involved in that decision in any way, shape or form? No. And when World War II came, shortly after that, that's when they they declared it to be the state of Israel. And keep in mind, between this time, you've had British forces basically essentially slaughtering Palestinians, right? They were trying to resist. They would help uh, the Jewish settlers essentially go in and they would go to certain villages and they would kick people out. So you're telling me that that is okay, but what ISIS is doing is is not okay, right? Because I really don't see... A material difference between those two groups and one one claiming self-defense you know it, it's really ridiculous to me 100 percent. i just wanted to add on to that because like what really because when the balfour declaration was declared because it took so long to kick in there was sort of civil war or not war won't go that far but like sort of civil unrest going on in Palestine because the Jews were frustrated that this Balfour is not kicking in. The Muslims felt betrayed. The Christians thought, where the hell do I have a place in this? So you have to understand, this is why I take it back to Western imperialism, because whilst the Palestinian people were also suffering from an invasion, they were also suffering the effects of British imperialism because the British actually controlled most of the Middle East at that time. And this is how the borders came into place. This is how they separated into Iraq and Syria and Jordan. So it was just a wave and a wave and a wave of attacks, you could say, for the Palestinian people. You know, they just recovered from the Ottoman Empire is gone. These British people have come in and now we're going to have to deal with, with these new people coming in. And like I said, the Balfour Declaration didn't really kick in or the, or the you know, the migration didn't happen until after World War II. And that's when it, because before that, you actually had Jews who were like extremist Jews who were frustrated that their state wasn't being established quickly. So you heard about the King David hotel bombing where, you know, you had some Jewish extremists who bombed a British hotel where there was actual British soldiers in that hotel and they killed Jews as well. So, you know, just to give a bit more context to, to the history and the, and the beginning of, of, you know, what, what, what are we in today? Yeah, I, I think that ultimately in this conflict, it's it's just a consistent attack. Like it's it's past systemic. <laughs> it's past. I don't even go as far as saying it's past in you know, comparison to apartheid. It's just colonialism, like old school colonialism with just new te- technology. I think you when you lose you lose all credibility. You lose all credibility when you attack the Red Cross. <laughs> Your forces attack the Red Cross, the most neutral, the most neutral party in any of this, just seeking to help any victims. You lost the high ground. And that's not all what we've seen. We've seen entire schools 
we're being indoctrinated, the children to hate Palestinians, right? We've seen entire, we've seen behind the scenes them being racist, disgusting to them. And we are so caught up as a country in the UK, more with the amount of money we can stuff from this specific transaction and the lives of innocent people. And I have a feeling, and I've noticed this before, but especially hearing about context history, I have no reason to believe in this anything other than the fact that they happen to believe they're a different God. They happen to have different pan-ethnic pan history. This is ridiculous. And you can notice this specifically with the grips constantly to Hamas and this idea where it's this big bad Hamas. But you know what? It's ridiculous. Look at the sheer scale. I think any rational thinking person that looks at the evidence of the sheer scale could understand that it's not a conflict. It is a borderline genocide. That is really, it's like comparing America to Vietnam, which I want to clean up Vietnam one about war, but it's insane. You're talking about innocent people living in small towns and communities versus an entire, an entire highly industrialized militarized force and complex. And I'd hate to be so emotive in my language here, but it is a very serious and a very cataclysmic conflict. And I think we should, uh, if you guys wouldn't mind, we can move the conversation on to more the, the politics around the activism and whether or not people have the right, whether or not they are justified in not partaking in it, or this whole thing, for example, the black community where there is a disconnect there and whatnot. What do you guys thought of that, if I were to segue? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, it's a great point. And I think um, <clears throat> I encountered a couple of issues in the first week of uh, <clears throat> the the, re the most recent crisis where they had stormed Masjid al-Aqsa and uh, they had literally just tear gassed people who were worshipping peacefully. Uh, I, I encountered a couple of people, right? I think here's the, the first issue that I started finding is that people were showing the true colors of transactional activism. Right. And uh, unfortunately, and I'll say that this is a minority, I did find some people from the black community uh, saying that, oh, you know, <clears throat> they, they're racist uh, and, you know, the Arabs are racist and so is Israel. So I don't care. They can kill each other. It's like, you know, people were saying stuff like that is like, it's ridiculous. Right. And they're saying, oh, there's this place in Palestine. It's Alabid, you know, oh, you know, therefore you shouldn't support Palestine. It's ridiculous. Right. It's first of all, it's ridiculous for you to assume that every single person that is currently living in Gaza or the West Bank is a racist. Right. In terms of like covert and they support all these systems of racism. And then two, do you have some sort of amnesia? Right. Because last time I checked during BLM, the Palestinians were also protesting. Right. They came out in large numbers to be able to show their solidarity with the BLM movement. Additionally, right. I don't think that people are realizing that their, um, their struggles as a whole against imperialism are intertwined with that of the Palestinians. This is something that James Baldwin has said, right? And this is also something like, you know, Palestinian leaders have actually gone, they met in Algeria with a couple of other revolutionary leaders to see, you know, how can we deal with this situation that's going on in our home country, right? And not only that, it's like, how can you sit by? It's like, it doesn't matter who the people are. Right? I'm just going to say that like point blank. It doesn't matter who the people are. You cannot be indiscriminately bombing people right? and giving them warning shots like or one minute to leave the house. right? It's absolutely ridiculous. right? And then bombing press buildings and then claiming that Hamas had some, uh, some cell over there or something like that. right? 
and the fact that they can get away with this with full impunity for me that's very very scary and i think this 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 video specifically um the two youtubers called abba and preach right yeah yeah <laughs> right. 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 actually i i've always mentioned that because i do think there is a certain level of analysis to be gained from what happened there and i think the first thing we should really say everybody should really say is that nobody expects you to be responsible for the whole conflict right you, you don't have that sense of control nobody does we're just raising awareness we're trying to think for charity to try to do the best we can right but I think it speaks, and I didn't initially disagree with this idea that they were wrong in their assessment. But the more you think about it, and the more in the way we handled it, I think it was extremely egocentric in the sense that it prioritizes this idea that because I know software, that I have a platform, a large one. It's really, if you don't know who they are, they are a YouTuber channel that goes into a lot of social political content. They've got quite a bit of subscribers, they've got a good platform. And so I initially thought that they had the freedom to do so, and they still do. But I think the real problem is this idea that I'm going to be self-aware knowing my platform. I'm going to be as obnoxious as possible to make a video say, I'm not going to take part in this. And shame you, the person who actually cares for this conflict, as being so caught in their personal lives that, that I can't partake in any specific activities. I think it's a bit ridiculous, ultimately. But I do think we shouldn't go too far as to say that anyone who doesn't take part in at all is inherently wrong. I just think about in the specific case of this and a lot of other people who just choose to, especially celebrities, right? But just choose to make a big song and dance as to how big the platform is, but they choose not to do so. It's just hope it's ultimately just <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Honestly. You know what it is? I think this kind of goes back to the anti-Semitic narrative because um that model, what was her name? Bella Hadid, she came out and she protested on the streets. And she received a lot of stick for that. Um, you know, Dior decided to not work with her anymore. And it's also just, a, you know, for the bigger picture, the Arab leaders who haven't spoken, who've stayed silent. Why? Because, again, I think it goes back to this, you know, anti-Semitism narrative and, you know, possibly, you know, <clears throat> having this label as a bigot. So that's why some people, because there's a lot of like Arab influences as well, like DJ Khaled, a lot of people spoke about DJ Khaled as a Palestinian himself. We're like, where's your voice, you know, and we're not hearing anything. But you have to understand this is how deep it goes, because people don't want to mess up their reputation. They don't want to, you know, because I can make an argument for them in a sense where if you are an entertainer, for instance, you're not expected to speak about politics because if you do, then you're almost taking sides. And those sides can be conflicting because unfortunately, Whilst the narrative is if you speak against um, Israel, you're an anti-Semite. But if you speak for Palestine, you can also be labelled as a terrorist as well. So, And people would rather not be labelled as an anti-Semite and also not be labelled as a terrorist supporter so they'd stay silent. And that's unfortunate because we should be allowed to speak our minds, especially in a case where there is no sides here. It's categorically clear who's the oppressed. So it's not, it's not its own comparison. But even then, there's so much pressure for people to not even take the right side in case they get hit with a label. I think for me, this is the most frustrating point. The the um the zionist propaganda talking point of oh it's hamas oh hamas is is there we can bomb the entire uh, school or entire hospital but but what i what i find out what i find weird is that hamas uh, as an entity is not regarded as a terrorist organization by the majority of the world uh, the following countries iran turkey china egypt brazil russia they don't 
regard Hamas as a terrorist organization. It's only a select few of Western uh, countries that have allegiance to Israel that regard it as a terrorist organization. From, uh, from my perspective, I've, I find the IDF as a terrorist organization. So resistance to that is natural. Resistance to a terrorist organization in, in the IDF that, that bombs in innocent uh, kids it, it shouldn't be shunned. Yeah, just even to note, uh, before I head back to the point on should people speak up and use their platforms, uh, the Palestinians have a right to armed resistance under a certain UN resolution. I can't remember the number of that UN resolution. But if there is an occupying force, which the UN has deemed Israel to be, the Palestinians have a right to armed resistance. So this is not a question of, oh, you know, oh, you know, they, they, can't, they can't be shooting first. They can't be shooting first. Well, the Israelis settled there first and they kicked people out of their homes first. And they literally dragged people out of their homes and they demolished homes as punishment. If you were to resist, first of all, the British army, or if you would end up uh, resisting the Israeli settlers after that. Right? With total impunity, people literally, I mean, one guy was shot in the leg for holding up a Turkish flag. Then there's another video of two Israeli soldiers, there's a sniper and a spotter, one who shot a child in the head, right? And you mean to tell me that this is like a double-sided issue? And this is the main thing that I'm saying. It's like I said, especially for people who live in the UK and people who live in the US, you are especially obligated, I'd say you're morally obligated in my eyes to speak about up about the issue and or at least not, not just saying like, you know, oh, post some blue square or something like that, or post this and that or green square, red square. No, I'm not saying anything like that. Even if you just email your local representative, right, and they can be able to have a discussion with their party, you're doing the right thing. Why? Because you're actively funding through your tax dollars and tax pounds, you're actively funding the Israeli Literally, your, your tax dollars are being converted into ammunition, and that ammunition is taking the lives of innocent children, right? That's something that you need exactly. to, yeah, you really need to focus on that. Even the EU, guys, look at the, the EU is one of the largest arms exporters to Israel, right? So if you are in Europe and you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about this, or if you're in Canada, oh, I don't want to talk about this, or in the US, I don't want to talk about this, then you're actively, now that's when you're being complicit. Right for those, yeah. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. Um, yes. Sorry, right. I just want to say because you know, like I said earlier, you know, I deal with a lot of the far right and people that are against refugees. Like, but you have to understand, you are funding the same government that is causing people to flee their homes. You know, because I'm sure the Palestinian people that you know, because we have to understand about the Palestinian people, they have such a deep connection to the land. They would rather never be elsewhere. That's why they're still there fighting. Because some people will say, hold on, if it's that bad, why don't these people flee? No, the Palestinians built Palestine. They have a deep connection. They have a historical connection to this land. They're not going to give it up easily, right? So when people sit there and say, all oh, these refugees are coming to our country. Well, if you, if you so badly didn't want refugees coming to your country, then you should speak out against your government, not the refugees that are just trying to find a safe home. Speak out to your government who go and invade these countries. And that's a, that's a specific thing about Palestine, why I respect them so much. They're not going nowhere. They're going to fight for that land, you know, and, and respect to those Palestinian people. But, you know, we, again, this is why I keep on focusing it back to the UK because they have a huge responsibility. Then, you know, that's why when I'm at the protest, I'm saying free Palestine, but I'm also shouting out UK is not innocent. You know, because that's also a message that needs to resonate within the people's minds. 
one thing I will say that I think we should recognize, though, is for the majority of these people, I do think there's elements of subconscious bigotry and bias now inherent from the um, conditioning they face from a very Islamophobic West coming up for post 9-11 Islamophobia. I do think that we should re- recognize that people who do not take part in this though, a lot of them, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but I do say it's, a, it's part of the reason why, have come from this narrative that they've not really made to, been made to care about people who have the Islamic archetype like, through their media and through their television, through their news consistently. Um, in fact, I think the shift so much in politics today has been because of the fact you moved from this post 9-11 Islamophobia after some Laden was killed into this new age, more analyzing our past systems and identity politics and whatnot. But besides that, I think ultimately this conditioning and the way they've seen this conflict is just a barrier. So then they'll try and say, not even say, but just have a very apathetic lens towards it, at least with, for example, in Africa, as I think that's been poorly slandered in terms of the conditional narratives that people have been shown from the media and whatnot, they're at least told in a sympathetic tone, which should be sympathetic towards Africa. Whereas in the Middle East and anything associated to it, they're just told, oh, terrorists, be careful to look out for them. Like they're one of their, <laughs> their, some, their, um, their folk devils, essentially. So um, when it comes to that, I think ultimately, whilst responsibility should be put on people who actively choose the wrong side, those who are in this position, I think that ultimately we should come from not just education, but this idea is that deconditioning the narratives they've been told about Muslims and told about people in general, because it's been conditioning them to see them as anything other than the enemy. And one quick last point I'll say is, if anyone's seen Black Mirror, there's a good episode called, I believe, it, okay, I've, <laughs> I forgot the name, I was going to call it the wrong name, but essentially it's a soldier who's been conditioned to see normal everyday people as the enemy and kill them. And I think essentially, on some level, the American and the UK government, the people and the government, are ultimately directly and indirectly implicit in sustaining this genocide. I think ultimately it's coming from this idea where it's that they view Muslims and anything associated with that and the culture as being inherently alien or I shouldn't really care that much. Because you hear it in these very conditioned narratives like, oh, Islamic terrorism, Islamism, jihad, you know what jihad means? Uh, war. No, it's got two meanings to it. But we don't know this stuff. It's, 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 I think ultimately, though, we, sh- we should all, as people who are aware of this conflict, seek to bring people to understand that. And one, I know I just said the last thing, but the last, last thing I say is my own mother, actually, before I went to the protest yesterday, was asking me, wait, what Palestinians? Why fight? Why fight? And I'm like, do you know what's going on? And she's like, uh, no, I don't really know. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to ba- teach you the basic rundown a bit of how um, Israel has been basically screwing over the Palestinian people. And through that, I, from her answers, I just knew it was completely conditioned from the way the media has been told her about Muslims and whatnot. So it's, it's not anything bad, but I got her to partake and actually care about the activism through this education of, of, of the actual issue. Which I know it can get tiring for people who have constantly been showing the information, but I do think, unfortunately, it's a vital thing you have to be sustainable on rather than putting ultimate responsibility on people which have been conditioned to ultimately think of it. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's something that I, I'm, I've actually been looking into. <clears throat> There's a woman called Yvonne Jukes. She's written a book called Media and Crime, and she mentioned something called the theory of proximity. So the media is more likely to report on certain issues or paint someone as in, in a more positive light if they are actually, if they're, they're more proximate to the population that they're showing the news to. 
So here in the UK, for example, or in the US specifically, if there is any news about a young, conventionally attractive white woman being hurt, right? That's where people start to be like, okay, you know what? I really want to, I care about this issue. Or if, if, even if it's like a white male, the way they're, they, they're really like apologists. I was even reading some research on how they report crime in Canada. And there was this white man who killed someone. And one of the, the papers said that, oh, he was seduced by the devil. Like this is actual real stuff, right? <laughs> it's like proper real stuff, right? And like, this is the extent to which the media is actually pushing this bias. And even for example, if you look at the way the word terrorism, I think, has been used three times more often when referring to Palestine as opposed to Israel. And even when BBC was reporting this week, they said, oh, 12 children have died in Palestine, right? But then they mentioned the Israeli kids and they said, oh, 12, uh, this number of people were killed, right? And if that isn't subconscious bias and implantation in people's minds, I really don't know what is. And this is why I say that I've really developed a true hatred for journalists. First of all, the term of calling it a clash or calling it a conflict. How dare you, right? Disgusting. How dare you, disgusting. right? Absolutely disgusting, right? When, you, when you're telling me that someone, for example, like George Zimmerman, George Zimmerman can be like holding his ground when he shot Trayvon Martin. Oh, you know, you have to defend your ground. You have to defend your ground. But now when you're talking about Palestine, it's a total flip issue. It's exactly. It's complex. There's nuance. It, like what is wrong? Even Al Jazeera, right? This, this is a, this is an unfortunate thing, right? Is that you have all of these news outlets that have um, agendas, even like the Sun, by the way. And like this is one of the things I really don't think that these media outlets should exist. The only thing that they do yeah. is they they breed hate amongst people. The Sun literally ran a headline, and I'll tell you that White was successful. They looked for the views. Within a day, that video had eight hundred thousand views. Do you know what the title of the video was? veiled woman attacks Israeli soldiers, shoots at Israeli soldiers, gets killed. What kind of a headline is that? It's, it's, it's honestly just disgraceful because when we look at it, the news and journalism itself is supposed to be unbiased, right? The BBC is supposed to be an unbiased network. It's gotten into license because of that sole fact. But the amount of paid agendas we see, it's almost like watching, you know when you watch a movie and you see constant product placement, <laughs> you can see that it's obviously they cared more about showing that to people rather than the actual movie. And it's like about journalism. You can see this, these disgusting displays of how they condition narratives so fervently. Black masculinity and crime. Women when, and women who are sexually liberated to being promiscuous and, and untrustworthy, right? This whole, this whole disconnect when it comes to Islamophobia and linking it towards actual cases of pure bigotry. I think ultimately when we look at all of these cases, what we have to see here is that journalism right now is dead. And I think that again, as I mentioned in the beginning, this is a very good example as to how the future is now taking place in terms of creating conflicts that are more of media and culture as much as they are with physical intervention and whatnot. But it is completely disgusting the bias we do see today. Abhorrent. 100%. And you know what? I do feel like, you know, one thing I say is, is the young people are carrying this movement personally because you have to understand most of the people, and it's not like, a, you know, against every elder person, but most of the people that I come across who have some sort of bias or prejudice are the older generation. 
and you have to understand they grew up in a not so multicultural not so multi-diverse britain right so they're gonna have that sort of mindset but as for people like us who grew up in you know wherever you're especially if you're major cities you have a bit more of an open mind you don't already have this this inherent prejudice that you have and that's why when i go to these protests because even when i looked at the zionist protest today and it was a lot of middle-aged people older people and when you go to the palestinian people it's so ethnically diverse there's so many different ages the women as well who are you know the ones that are shouting the most so i think we have advantage to that you know a lot of us are young and and back in the day most young people weren't really clued up in current affairs Uh, you know i think now young people are becoming more politically aware that they're becoming more proactive in what's happening around the world like even with the blm situation that happened young people were carrying that same with the palestinian we're carrying that we're good with social media you know like you know we know how to use the tiktoks the instagram so that's we are in our arena when it comes to conveying messages because you know we we, we are we are young and we're, we're passionate and we're fiery so that's one positive thing i would say that what i've seen happening throughout this whole situation because before you know like as an arab when you hear you know your uncles your aunties speaking about politics oh it's just old people's talk you don't want to hear it but then now as you grow up in my 20s you want to be a part of it you want to be a part of that change because i've seen my family suffer through racism prejudice and i want to break that curse i want to break this this racist prejudice generational curse and i think it's the young people so just to add a positive note i think now things are slightly changing you know we've seen the desperate attempts israel or netanyahu has to take to pay uni students to literally counter certain arguments online and give them extra scholarships you know this is the desk because we're winning at this point you know i want to mention two things uh one is going to be a question but one is also going to be an observation <clears throat> but this is propaganda guys i don't know if you saw my tiktok video but um i'll just say one thing women as a whole the way they've been used by the Israeli government, it's like, you really need to start asking questions. What is the agenda behind this? So I decided out of curiosity, I, I, was, I was scrolling through TikTok, you know, the usual. Then I just see Israeli soldiers using, oh, jalebi, baby, that song, right? And it's really popular on TikTok. So I see one person use it. Then I see another person use it. Then I see another person use it. And they're all female Israeli soldiers, Right? And they're showing the experiences, etc. And then also they're conventionally, uh, what, what people would term conventionally attractive. I could also tell, unfortunately, by the comments, right? People were in quote simping, despite the the fact that they're baby killers, right? I don't know how it's attractive to be a baby baby killer, but whatever, right? So I I actually found all of these videos, same dance, same strategy, sometimes even the same caption, and it's clear that the Israeli government is telling these soldiers to do this because where are the male accounts, right? Where are the male accounts? And you know what's even more sick, right? It's so sick, right? It's bisexualizing these women, right? And like, or like, you know, putting them out there and saying, oh, you know, I'm so pretty. I, one of them even captioned it. Does it look like I can kill innocent children, right? One of them even captioned it that. It's like, some people are so sick that when I searched Israel, the first one of the first searches is Israel girl soldier, or when I searched Israel G for like Israel Gaza, I was going to search Gaza. It's like oh Israel girl, right? Then you go Israel woman soldier. It's like people are actually sick. 
So they're trying to get people to essentially say that, oh, you know what? These are the women. They look so beautiful. They can't harm people, right? Not only is that so sexist that you're using women as your pawns in your, your social media propaganda war, right? But it's so it's, it's just so disrespectful to the people who have had to go through all of that. People are literally losing their spouses, right? They're about to get married. Then all of a sudden, a bomb just drops on your spouse's house. Like People don't really understand what's going on. Then the second thing I wanted to ask you guys, if you, uh, you can comment on that, but also just answer this question if you can, is the topic of slacktivism. This is, a, this is a term that's actually come from some scholarship on media and campaigns, right? So the idea of slacktivism, where people just like or share something, it's like, do you think that slacktivism is something that's like inherently like a bad thing? Or like, do you think that, you know, people need to have their support more hands-on or like what do you think is the minimum level of engagement that you'd, ex- you'd expect from someone when coming to these issues? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, it depends upon the scale of the conflict. And I think as well, it depends upon whether or not but the engagement is actually practical. I think we should look at this on a more pragmatic lens because if slacktivism is causing people to be aware of an issue that's happening right now, we see the power of social media time and time again, such as the Arab Spring, and how vital social media was and attention people cared for that conflict and what happened there. Ultimately, the level of which you are engaged and you can pass that engagement on to make a real public ruckus and like make a lot more, like a simple unrest for coastal levels. I think you've ultimately done a good thing because it gets the government's talking, it gets, if you get the masses talking, the governments and the leaders talking, and they actually see to end these conflicts. It's just the best case scenario of slacktivism. However, it can also cause the detriment of an issue because of the fact that it lacks nuance. We can hear issues that are, for example, so-called feminists that are trying to defend um, all universal rights, but slack on men's issues, such as um, in male suicide, for example. We see this in a lot of other different causes, specifically animal rights, non global rights activists, vegans and whatnot, eating and consuming products on a massive scale that kill thousands more animals than necessarily and um, on all other conflicts. Ultimately, it depends upon the issue, but I will say that it seems more likely than not that getting people's attention is important, but I do not think that people should, for lack of better reasoning, just get themselves overexcited the fact that their activism will lead to the direct solving of an issue. But, so, so essentially what I'm trying to say is, it's kind of like, I think it's a good thing, but you shouldn't force it in any way depending upon the context of the situation. When it comes to this specific conflict, I do think, yeah, sharing it and making, it, making a big bust it has caused something, we should keep going. Um, but if you want to do it, I'm not going to say that you're a terrible person or even you're a moral person, but I will say that you're being cowardly. But that's all really about how to say, but it does depend upon the context and the scale and whatnot, but at least to me. Just to talk on um, um, Adnan's initial point, I think without a doubt, like Israel's losing the PR war, like it, it, the whole world can see them for what they are right now. Maybe this is an attempt or maybe it's just a coincidence that so many like uh, IDF soldiers are doing it simultaneously. But um, if anything, not only is um, the crimes of Israel being uncovered and shown to the world, but the hypocrisy of, of our countries as well, the hypocrisy of the so-called um, bastions of human rights and, and freedom, the America and uh, the UK is being uncovered for what they are, hypocrites, funding terrorism, funding um, 
disasters, right? But um, regarding the slacktivism point, I, I don't know, like, it, I, I get it. Some, sometimes you see people post just for the sake of posting because it's, it's a trending topic. But I don't know, like, you can't really tell what the intention is. So I'm, I'm not sure on that point, to be honest. I would say that, like, because me, I'm a public speaker. I'm, I'm sure you are, now. you've got a TikTok. So we can put our faces out there. We can almost say it with our chest, like, you know, this is our message. And there might be some people who are not as confident, you know, confident to put themselves out there and speak. So I think the least you can do is share. Because, you know, if one person is educated on the matter, then, then that's also a good thing. You know, so I, I think it's 50-50. It's you, know, you have some people who are confident to speak and you have others who are not. So if you're not that confident, I think in a situation like this, definitely share. Share and let your people know. Yeah, I, I agree with that point. Like, I, I think it's a good gesture, regardless of the what people think of it. It's good gesture to show that you're with, you know, whoever's struggling, whether it's BBLM or the Palestinian cause. Yeah, no, I just want to perhaps just chime in into, into that. I think sharing for me would be just like the absolute minimum and like, you know, at least maybe just like having a look at it, having a look at certain sources or asking someone that you know that might be Palestinian or knows about the situation, trying to uncover the truth about what's going on. Um, but even when it comes to the point of just like activism in general, as you said, yeah, it does depend on the situation. And I'll refer back to the whole Abba and Preach situation and about how they came out and did an eight minute video saying, oh, we're not going to support Palestine because we don't want to. It's like, I feel like you just, you just wasted space for nothing. It's like, yeah. you sh- if you didn't want to speak on Palestine because you didn't want to, then you should exactly. have made a video. Like exactly. imagine yeah. saying, oh, this kid's dying. And this I'm quoting verbatim, right? This kid's dying. I don't want I'm not interested in talking about it. So you're telling me that you're not interested about talking about kids dying. But it, it was interested such a, in talking it about like it was made for how shock. you're not interested. It in just seemed like it, it was made for shock to, to, to shock um, the viewers and to be, 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 be like almost troll. It almost seemed like a troll, like they were trying to just scare writers out of people because it was, it was completely unnecessary. And yeah. I, especially, I feel as if in this conflict, if you and they tend to say, oh, yeah, we're looking out for people, we're, we're talking about the videos for young men and whatnot. You can't have that pretentious amount of care or so-called activism and care for refining commissions and then be this nonchalantly shock-based. It's just ridiculous. Not to focus it too much on them, but I do think it serves a very good example as to the, the ultimate logical conclusion to this conditioning I was talking about when people don't care at all. So I definitely would agree to the point that people should care and should be made to care. Yeah. I, just don't want, I don't want it to become a, a, a pretentious kind of um, self-congratulatory echo chamber is that we, we try to parade around and try to see people. We are solving the issue and we aren't actually solving the issue at all because of the fact that we're so busy just, you know, saying we're good people by saying we're doing it. And I think that happens a lot of issues and I definitely don't want it to happen something so serious and as vital and as dire as this situation. So I'm yeah. just a bit hesitant as to the way we call out people who are actually not participating into it. Yeah, no, I think what I'll mention is like, they do make a good point in that they stated that, you know, why aren't you, why aren't some people speaking on these issues on whatever is happening in Tigray, by the way. Also, yeah, press to, you know, all the Tigrania people and all the people in Ethiopia in general, because there's a lot of genocide that's actually going on there, etc. So I might as well raise awareness for it here. 
no, but just go and do your own research on that, guys, as well. But, um, you know, just speaking about things like that and just like, you know, what's happening in Myanmar, what's happening in Colombia, like when you bring all of these things together, we're not saying that you have to speak on everything. And I've come from that perspective. I've had people block me because I didn't speak about a certain issue, right? And I said that, listen, like I'm still learning about it, right? And right now it's like, it's, it's very complex literature. I'm not like, uh, it's, it's, it's genuinely complex. It's not like something like, for example, you know, uh, where you can find a source online on it because it's like something to do with African history. So you have to look into the history and you actually have to like learn some stuff. Some issues are like that. And I admit some issues are like that, right? So even like climate change, all these different things, it's like, yeah, you know, climate change is bad, but you're not going to expect someone to know the basics of sustainable development and the three E's, right? So I think it's a bit more complex. And I think what I would say is that at least if there's a situation whereby it's like it's an elephant in the room right it's reached that stage and like you know about it that that movement in and of itself has an opportunity to be on the front pages right just like palestine has this week just like blm was for the last uh, couple of months in like 2020 like you know that entire summer to november period there's been massive changes because of that so if you have a platform you have a chance to amplify that, at least get people talking about it, right? Exactly. That's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, with Abraham Preach, they made it all, uh, out to be like, oh, why do you care about our opinion just because we're celebrities? But it's not that. It's, that, it's the fact that you can reach so many people, right? And if they just took this weird stance like, oh, oh, we just don't care. It's like, you just need an ounce of empathy. And, you know, you have to be human being. That's it. Nothing else. Well, ultimately, I would agree. I just, again, would be careful. I would just be careful as to as where we go by George because you don't want to dissuade people from the cause as to how we're like. I don't want this to become the next legal. I don't want this to become something that becomes trendy and becomes like not necessarily a moral conflict anymore, but really more just a, a fashion trend to make you seem like a pretentious good person, right? We've raised money, we've done a lot of good work, and I think we should not stop until the conflict is done, like most other conflicts. But fatigue and allowing conditioned apathy to stop you isn't an excuse, but it is an excuse for us as well as people who actually fight this issue to forget that they themselves, we can't expect them to be the activists that we want for the world. You have to be the activists we want to be for the world, ultimately. And for having preaching my specific example, yeah, it just, for me, it came across a shock. And I'm kind of done with that, especially when realizing that. If you don't want to take this, serious, this issue seriously, then how am I going to respect and take you seriously in any of what you say after that? So I wouldn't really necessarily say that. It's, it's that. Um, yeah, I guess it works as a good analysis, as a good, as a good microcosm as to how why people in the West seem to be apathetic towards the situation. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a cheaper check attempt shot, I think, ultimately. And you know what it is, like, because when I was watching the BLM protest and I remember a slogan that was being shouted, which is silence is violence. And sometimes people could say, you know, not saying something means you're complicit. And I think, you know, a lot of these arguments are made, well, I'm not there. You know, I'm here in the West. Why should I care? 
but ultimately you are living under a government which is complicit. You are paying tax money which funds the wars that are happening. So either way, you're complicit intentionally or unintentionally. So to know that on your conscience, to know that your money is potentially going to fund bombs that might drop on children should be enough concern for you to say something, you know, and that's what society has really become like because I think in the last 20 years in my lifetime, you've heard about all these crises that have happened around the world, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, and now Palestine. And, you know, it, it can do two things. It can make you completely turn a blind eye and think, oh, this is just too much. Or it can make you realize, say, actually, no, I want to be a part of change. Because especially as, as people who probably come from, you know, parents who are immigrants, you know, this this is very sentimental to people like us. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I, I speak to Palestinian people because there's this issue that people talk about. Why do you protest? Protest is not going to make a change. There are Palestinian people who are asking the international community to speak on their behalf. So it frustrates me when people say, you know, protesting is not effective. Yes, it is, because, you know, we are talking to the source straight to their face we are raising awareness we are ultimately also the alternative media because when you go to these protests bbc is not there itv is not there cnn is not there but it's the independent youtubers that are there you know trt does quite good work rt as well does quite a lot of good work but also when we're walking down the streets because sometimes you work like we'd walk into like local areas where people are sitting at the restaurant drinking their cup of tea and they hear free palestine they're turning their heads and they're thinking hold on what is this all about? So I think, you know, protesting is not the end all and be all, but I think it's very effective, very effective. Yeah, just to even stress, like I literally looked out of my window today and I heard people like hooting in a sequence. So it was like, bah, 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 bah. I was like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and I looked outside my window and I see a stream of cars coming down the road with Palestinian flags. And like, for me, it's like, you know, you could just tell like, you know, people in this city care. And like, that's a big statement, especially for like the government, given that like those elections here, like just like a month ago or something like that. Um, it's just, it's so, so insane how that small, like, you know, push from every single person can actually change things. Even for BLM, let me be very honest, when it comes to jobs, after those protests, people started taking it seriously, right? at least we've seen some nominal change, right? People are actually having conversations about having curriculums of black history, uh, you know, all these different things in school, right? So it's actually, it's there to change, you know? And at least people who are emailing their MPs, people who are putting pressure, like just keep in mind, it's like, I don't understand when people say, oh, you should be silent, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's like, people don't understand how change is made. And let me actually give one last example as we close the podcast about the intersectionality of certain issues and how different people around the world can actually make a change. So one very, very famous example where especially the black community stood in solidarity for a cause that did not affect them at all, by the way, like it was actually the invasion of Abyssinia, right? So when, in, when the invasion of Abyssinia was happening in 1935, and the Ethiopian people were asking for help. Keep in mind, the African-Americans did not even have, they don't have a connection like in terms of like genealogy, right? It's from West Africa, right? So the idea is like, you, you don't even have to support it, right? But what happened was the people got so upset that, you know, Abyssinia was being invaded. For them, it was the last straw. Like they said, this is the last country that's going to get colonized. People started actually creating camps 
right? And they said that, okay, you know what we're going to do? If you want to sign up to go and fight in Ethiopia, like, you know, to put, literally sign up as soldiers, you can do this. And I think from cities like Chicago, those cities like New York, they started bringing people together. They almost recruited 20,000 people, right? To just go and fight in a war that, to shed blood, right? Even in, you know, there's a specific military fort in Texas, right? The commander was quoted and said, I'm ready to shed my blood for the Ethiopian people. Right. This is the kind of solidarity that we're talking about. Right. And these are the same leaders, by the way, uh, who are actually the ones who would uh, eventually pass the baton on to people like James Baldwin, Martin Luther King, etc. Malcolm X. And all of these people recognized they recognized that colonialism as a whole is our enemy. So if you're a black person specifically, right, or if you're a person of color and your country has undergone colonialism, why, why are you still remaining silent and supporting an active settler colonial state, right? For us, it should mean something to us. That's the main point that I'm trying to get people to get from this podcast. It doesn't matter about the other issues. Those are things that we can solve in a different period of time, right? But right now, there's a settler colonial state that is taking advantage of, um, of a group of people and they're trying to ethnically cleanse them from the area. That's what I'll say in like my, my final conclusion. And I hope people really understand that point of view. But let's just get panel statements from everyone. If you want to say something, just tag your social media as well. And then we'll close off the podcast. Okay, I guess I'll start. Um, <clears throat> again, I think ultimately this conflict is an, an extremely easy one to really figure out if you aren't colored by the shock of World War II or your preconditioned light Islamophobic uh, narratives when it comes to certain people. I think we can look at this objectively and say that they are, there's an objective genocide going on and getting people to care about it is the real issue. And I do think we've made some real progress and we should be really proud and happy for done, but it's obviously some more to do. But we should find a sweet spot balance between getting people to care and not getting people to be turned away by the way we are unable to commit to an issue ultimately. But I do think that people need to start caring and people need to start just finding the research is very clear right there in front of them ultimately. And yeah, hopefully Palestine will be free and we can all start standing solidarity with each other, which is a very beautiful point. And solidarity, I love that word because ultimately it's it's strength within struggle. And I think that a lot of us are struggling and not a lot of us are really picking each other up from the dirt. And um, I guess that's the rest I've got to say for my plugins. Um, on Instagram, I'm jj.92 underscore. You should know me as an apology with Deadman, so tag underneath it. And I've also got a YouTube channel in the description. Nothing really there other than edits so far, but I'm working on big projects discussing social political issues and uh, politics in general. I'll probably cover Palestine as well. And I'm working on my discourse as well. So just if you are going to stay with me, really appreciate it and you might enjoy the content. But yeah, thank you for having me on. It's a really beautiful discussion. Yeah, um, <clears throat> my last statement is, you know, it's, it's, I'm really happy that I came to this podcast and I'd like to thank Adnan for inviting me on. It's been amazing, really. I've learned a lot and it's it's inspiring to see so many young people this educated. You know, I'm learning as well, you know. Um, I think with the Palestinian struggle, this has been something that's been going on for a very long time. And I think, you know, like I said before, we need to carry this. We need to be the ones who make that long 
lasting change for, for, for the Palestinian people. And it's not an easy struggle. But the fact that we're doing something about it, we need to keep this continuous stamina going. I think raising more awareness, boycotting if we need to, having these conversations because, you know, Palestinian rights is human rights. What's happening to them is a human issue, you know, and we cannot continue to just turn a blind eye. And I want to, I, I have hope that, you know, this will be effective enough to make a change. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It was really good speaking to all of you guys. And I hope, you know, the audience can definitely take something from this as well. Um, as for my content, I'm on TikTok and YouTube as Zubayda Al-Arabiya. Um, the way you spell Zubayda because it's like three different ways. My way is Z-O-U-B-I-D-A. Um, and, yeah, we just discussed pretty much the same thing like this, politics, religion. And, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, for my closing statements, uh, once again, thanks Adnan for having me on. But um, if anything, this I'm, I'm happy that this uh, reveals the hypocrisy of the West. I'm happy that people can now see that we're, we're living in uh, uh, an alternate reality. We don't, we don't live in a world in which uh, the bastions of, of freedom, the bastions of uh, democracy are those who claim to be. And I'm, and if anything, I'm, uh, I'm happy that the the victims of U.S. imperialism and, and Western imperialism have stood in solidarity with Palestine, like like Venezuela, like um, Iran, like uh, China, like North Korea. Victims of U.S. propaganda, victims of U.S. embargo and sanctions have stood with Palestine, and. Um, and I'm glad that we got to discuss it, and I learned a lot from you guys. I thank you guys as well. Um, my social media is at, on TikTok. I go by at fear and trembling without without a G, and on Twitter I go by esoteric bullets, spelled normally. But uh, thank you, Adnan, and thank you um, to the guests. Yeah, thank you so so much, guys, for taking time out of your day to discuss this. It's a very very pertinent issue, and you guys know where I stand. And uh, I'm just glad that we're all standing on the right side of history because. I mean, I guarantee you, if you go back 30, 40 years ago and we're having this discussion about apartheid in South Africa for, I mean, it must have been outrageous that, you know, like this, they use the same method, you know, Nelson Mandela terrorists, you know, all these different people, Steve Biko, he must be a terrorist. You know, we need to start seeing the game of colonialism playing before our eyes and you, you must learn from history. That's going to be what I tell you, if you leave this podcast, that's the one thing I want you to take. So thanks once again to everyone who's listening. I'm going to take a short season break because it's the end of the season and we'll see you next season.